Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections in Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and we are continuing on for our look at the films and TV shows from the MCU this year, at least up through um, Eternals. And since we're doing part two, we might as well continue on with the same cast we had in part one, which means not only am I here, but John Wilson's back. That's John with an H, I believe, right? No, without an H. I was recast for season two. Oh, okay, okay. He's gone now, so you're here. Yeah. Either way, it's a John Wilson. That's what counts. There is um, there is a guy on friggin' HBO Max with my name and an H and a TV show all his own. So just think of what my life could have been if they had renamed me the other way. You could have been the one on the TV show. I could have had a TV show of my own, but no. That's the only thing stopping it. Only thing... <laughs> it's kind of like whenever someone's like, you know, I would totally date her if she, you know, weren't, you know, you're looking at a celebrity or whatever. And I'm like, yes, the only thing keeping you from dating her is the fact that she's far away in Hollywood. That's yeah. the only reason. That's the only thing. If you were there, it'd be happening. Right. But we like to have our fantasies, I guess. So not faulting it too much. Anyways, we're here to talk about some Marvel movies. And speaking of fantasies, that's a good segue to start talk about our first one, because our first thing we're going to talk about is the uh, last TV show we're going to do, which is the animated series. What if I am the watcher? I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question. What if? So this was, I know this is something that like fanboys and girls were excited for because we all like the idea of what if. Let's be honest. The idea behind what if is often better than the actual what if stories themselves. But um, yes. I'm not entirely sure how much on the radar of like the muggles this particular show was before it came out. Um, my, From what I can remember seeing my guests is probably not that much, at least until it was people realized that it would be Chavik Bozeman's last appearances. Mm. You think that fed into the uh, viewer interest? I think it did a little bit because, you know, like some of them, like for instance, they weren't able to get Robert Downey Jr. And I don't think Scarlett Johansson, I know Scarlett Johansson didn't do the Black Widow voice in the last few episodes, but I didn't check all of them to see if she did, ever did them. But that doesn't always mean necessarily mean they won't do it, just that they weren't able to for whatever reason. For mm -hmm. all we know, they both could be voicing those characters in season two episodes. But I mean, they did have a lot of the act, you know, the actual actors portraying their characters. We saw the same Wong, you know, same Doctor Strange, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact and a lot of to do is made about the fact that Peter Parker was not being voiced by Tom Holland. Yeah, but unlike everyone else, you know, we can't get Chadwick Boseman to come back to do anything. Right. So this is the last for him. So I think that might have gotten some people interested. Uh, but yeah, so maybe a little bit of a sleeper hit. But I think once it started airing, people were immediately uh, enraptured by it. I was certainly enjoying myself. I, um, I did too, yeah. I liked that they decided to go with the episodic story that turns into, you know, a bit of a saga that has like stuff that builds that you weren't expecting to build. I liked yes. that approach. Yes, yes. No, I liked that. It was... Up until the last the episode seven, every episode was pretty much completely singular on its own. 
Mm-hmm. And then not only did those last three feed into each other, but they did bring back characters from every episode. Bit of an Exiles feel to it at the end there. Mm-hmm. So I did like that. I was very happy with that. And the stories, for the most part, I did enjoy. You know, for the most part, they, I mean, they did what it would have did, mostly. I mean, is there always some shorthand for things that maybe wouldn't go so easy? You know, characters might be, you know, let's say, for instance, defeated or killed sometimes in what ifs that quicker than they would be in the real world, in the real world or the real comic issues. Because, well, they got to do it in one issue or one episode as opposed to taking a long time. Right. So you can't have a slow build. You have to, you know, it's a one and done. Yeah. So, for instance, Ultron gets to kill Thanos in one swipe. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how the What If series went, too. You know, it's like, okay, we got to do this story. So, yes, the entire X-Men and the Avengers die in one panel. Right, right. Or even off panel. Exactly. And it's like, how'd that happen? Um, it happened. Deal with it. <laughs> and um, have you seen the new Doctor Strange trailer? No. Okay, so it's it's uh, it's been leaked, but it's uh, playing on the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. So you'll see it when you get there. It's just a trailer, so I feel like you wouldn't be mad at me if I said this. No, because it's a trailer. I'm going to see it what, eventually what, either when I see the movie or if it's on IMDb. But there looks to be an appearance of evil Doctor Strange in the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness film. Mm. That, you know, that Doctor Strange that got twisted up and... Yes. Yeah. Although I guess he's not that evil anymore by the end. Right. So I'm not sure exactly what they're doing with that, but he definitely has like a mirror, mirror kind of experience in the trailer there. And I was seeing something today. There was a rumor. I'm not sure if it's yeah, a bit of a rumor that um, they might have the Captain Carter character in that movie as well. I'd be down for that. Anything to get more Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter is, is, I mean, there are very few things you could do. And the fact is also sad about yeah, no, definitely. I'm all for that. And the show obviously did well enough and was popular enough that they're getting a, you know, they're spinning a comic out of it, sort of. As in, we're going to get a Captain Carter. I'm not sure if it's an ongoing or miniseries. I forget. But there is going to oh, be a Captain Carter. Yep, there's going to be a Captain Carter series. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think I saw it here, actually. I have the Marvel previews for February. I thought I saw it in there. I do remember having one complaint about one particular episode. And I realize I may be grasping at unnecessary straws here. I realize that some who disagree with me might accuse me of virtue signaling here, but it was just my honest reaction at the time I was watching. As good and as emotionally impactful as that Doctor Strange episode was, it was at the expense of the repeated death and killing and mangling of a female character for the sole purpose of driving a male character's story, a trope that is commonly referred to as fridging nowadays. So I didn't love that, that they used that for his story, but you know, it's, it's mainly a problem because of how overdone it is as a story trope. There's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with it as a story idea, but it gets overdone sometimes. And so it was bothering me a little bit, but I was willing to look past it by the end, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, to be fair, a little bit on that, it's not, it doesn't end up with just that character. Every kid, everyone else in the universe died too. Well, no, but she was used, she was killed over and over again for all of his different iterations. Oh, true. That's true. 
And okay, I'm wrong. It's not in that previous. I thought it was. But I believe I also saw that the Captain Carter character is appearing on the cover of the first issue of the new Avengers Forever series. Okay. So they're also saying that that character is probably going to appear there. Just to finish that off. But anyway, going back. So I can see that issue. I can see that definitely being an issue. Speaking of that, the reverse of that, they did the reverse of the Black Widow death in Episode 7. Uh, yeah, they uh, they did some cool stuff with Black Widow there. I'm trying to remember exactly the the beat that you're talking about. What happened with her in Episode 7? Um when the when after they downloaded Zola's consciousness into one of the Ultron robots, mm-hmm. which wow, that's not a character I thought we'd see again. Right. So and that was amusing, especially the part where they bring him online. He's like, I'm sort of assuming you're wondering how I got here. What's going on? No, no, no. We know everything already. We've already met you, sort of. We we we're cool with that. <laughs> you don't need to tell us your evil plan. It reminded me a bit of um, since I was t- saying there before we started recording that because we were watch my wife and I were watching a lot of the Doctor Who Christmas specials, mm-hmm. and it was one of them where he's waiting for uh, I think it's the one with the snowmen, where the governess version of uh, Clara Oswald is uh, goes in the TARDIS for the first time and he's waiting for her to say it's bigger on the inside, right? And she says it's smaller on the outside. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you could say that too. It's one way to put it. It's not the way everybody else puts it, but I guess it works. But it was kind of a similar thing. He's like, you know, Zola's waiting for this. That's his big thing to do. This is what happened to me. Oh, no, never mind. Fine, moving on. Right. right. But um, they're being chased by all the Ultrons, and uh, Hawkeye gets shot and is falling, and she grabs him and is holding on, and he basically makes her. He lets go so they can get so she can get away. Right. Right. Yeah, I remember being rather happy at some of the uh, the re- retreatments of that character in that series. And that one actually got a happy ending since they were the last person left alive in their world. And they they end up on the one Earth that actually didn't show up in the finale up until that point, which was the one where uh, Ant-Man kills all the Avengers. Right. And that she gets sent there to replace that that world's widow. Yeah, I realized that like just giving her a happy ending was probably all we're going to get. From that character, but man, I would love to see more Natasha Black Widow. I mean, Yelena Black Widow has been great in Hawkeye, uh, which we're going to talk about another time because as we're recording, the series isn't finished yet. And I've only seen the first two episodes. Oh. Well, hopefully. I knew she was going to be there. I yeah, I was going to say, hopefully her casting was was something you know about. Um, well, like, I, I assume she was, because when we talked last time about the Black Widow movie, that's the end credit scene. Oh, that's right. So I knew Yelena was going to show up. So that's not a surprise to me. I, I mean, I would not mind. I mean, what if it's probably the ch- best chance we have of seeing more Black Widow? Mm-hmm. Because I can see there being still more what-ifs to do that take place well before she died and that she would be involved in. Now, whether Scarlett Johansson will play the character in the second in, in, in time in the second season or not, we'll find out. Yeah, the chances of her voice in the character, I think, are pretty small. I think she's probably a pretty expensive get, deservedly so. But Which is... Possibly a good reason why her and Robert Downey Jr. have not appeared in, the, in those things. Right. But you never know. So let's just think of this. This is actually one of the best examples of the Watcher. Not best example. This is probably one of the best times where the Watcher actually did try to not break his oath. Tried to. Yeah. Until he was he himself was actually attacked. He was trying to get them to do it correct. That's true. Because even in that episode, when he's looking in episode seven, he's in you know that ghostly form watching. 
and he's watching Natasha and, and Clint in the KGB archives, and he's in there going, it's one more box. It's right there, right next to you. Just keep looking. Just keep looking. <laughs> Just keep looking. Just keep looking. Yeah, it helped build attention too because a lot of times just like you know looking through research is not exactly riveting television right exactly but having having him there helping build the attention helps it uh feel more important telling us that there is something to look for and they are close to it because i mean that place was huge i mean let's face it this washer has lasted a much longer time without interfering than the 616 comic universe watcher who interferes in his what second appearance third yeah, yeah. The, the Galactus trilogy. I mean, he has that initial appearance in 13 where he only really interferes because they're bothering his home. So you can kind of forgive that, but... I feel like he interferes in pretty much every appearance in the Silver Age. I think he only shows up to mess with people's business. Yeah. Like, either they come to him in that first story or he comes to them, but, like... And he gets sued for it. Like, I think it's in the Captain Marvel series after the Engelhart or maybe during the Englehart run, there's yes. like the whole trial of the Watcher thing, where the Watchers put Uatu on trial for messing up his Watcherness every single time. Yeah, because even when he doesn't interfere, he interferes. I'm thinking of uh, that early Warlock. Um, no, you weren't on yet, but it was in when Warlock shows back up as him in the Thor issues. Mm-hmm. His cocoon's floating through space. It ends up getting sucked in this little like trap that like the watcher had set up because he was trying to collect some meteors to to experiment on or study or whatever and instead of putting it back where it was he goes oh this is from earth let me send it back there Hmm. and that's how he comes back to earth after he leaves in fantastic 467 wow that's not that is not non-interference that is direct interference you took the trajectory of something that was going away from earth and sent it back there Right. That's um, uh, young Anakin Skywalker episode one level shenanigans. Yeah. But that leads into, and you said what you mentioned is actually what I was thinking of. That leads into my theory of what ep season two's over. I think if the, I'm going to assume they're going to do the similar thing. Single episodes that will eventually lead into some kind of finale that connects everything. Yeah. And I, it's hard to say, you know, because. Right now, I'm sorry. No, go on. Well, right now, Marvel has really been building and feeding the idea of the multiverse. You know, it started in Loki, and it's going through What If. They're playing with it with the Venom and and uh, you know the end of Venom where he like feels the Spider-Man universe. He measures into that. Yeah. It's at the end of Carnage. Um, yep. And Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming. So what if feels like it's part of this overall thing? So since it's getting a season two, will season two come out while Marvel is still building that idea? Or will it be after that You know, sort of comes to a head? It's hard to say. But I think this is the first story to have a purpose, do its purpose, and then get a second season. We talked about last time how most series really feel like a single-purpose story. They've told their story. They're done. Loki was supposed to be a longer season, um, but it hasn't yes. finished yet, so it has more to do. But what if seems to be different? Yeah, but I'm, my theory is what if season two will end with the trial of the Watcher? Oh. Because regardless of his reasons, he still did interfere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think... 
we might get a trial of the watcher. For, that's my thought for season end of season two. We're going to get the trial of the watcher. Now, a quick call on this. My, I was talking to my brother the other day because he had you know seen the episodes already before me, and there's something something he brought up. Now, there's a couple of ways to think about it, but I'm just wondering, wondering your take on it. Way back now, granted, of course, things that have been changed, but way back after in the 90s, after the Infinity Gauntlet, the Living Tribunal makes a rule that the Infinity Gems cannot work outside of their home reality. So if oh. you have the Infinity Gauntlet and you travel to another universe, guess what? You got a you got a bunch of pretty stones. Okay. Or pretty gems. And that's is that it. part of why they were just pretty little stones in Loki? Possibly. So the question is, though, why did they work in these what-if episodes? Because Ultron has the Infinity Stones, and he goes to different realities, and and there's nothing stopping him. Well, you're taking a comic book story beat and moving it into... I I see what you're saying. That's what you're saying. If that happened in Loki, then how does that affect the storytelling in a what-if? Well, and my thought is, I'm wondering now... Are these different, just not just different universes, but multiverses? Like, they've kind of established, especially when they do those big crossovers, that there's the DC multiverse and the Marvel multiverse, you know, but they're still in the same omniverse. But just as it's as, you know, difficult to just travel from universe to universe for the most part, it's even a lot harder to travel from multiverse to multiverse, which is, you know, the in-universe reason why we don't have Superman and Spider-Man hanging out all the time. So I'm wondering, is it supposed to be that the MCU is in its own multiverse different than the comic one. So therefore, rules made for the comic universe, like the Infinity Gems don't work outside of their own universe, would have no effect on the MCU stories. You know... (laughs) I mean, it doesn't really matter, but just kind of a fun... Like, oh, yeah. Like, I was just wondering, thinking about that. Like, huh. There's this mathematical concept of infinity. And in... Mathematics, there are some infinities that are larger than other infinities because some infinities are called countable and some infinities are called uncountable. I'm not going to go into the specifics of whatever, but the idea that some infinities are larger than other infinities blew my mind the first time I heard it. And when I think of a multiverse of multiverses, that's what I think about. I think about an infinity of infinities. Yeah. Like a, there is a meta multiverse made up of all the different multiverses, each of which is, you know, infinite. And they're all just out there being infinite together, but not intersecting. Yeah, it's like, it, uh, the, way, uh, the way I was thinking of it, it's like, it's like a box of, you know, you have a box of crayons. Mm. Uh, think of it like a box of crayons. And in, in the jumbo box of crayons, you have mini boxes. And in each box is like all the shades of different colors. Mm-hmm. So this box is all the shades of oranges. This box is all the shades of blue. This one has all the shades of pink. You know, or red, or whatever you want to call it. Because I guess pink is a shade of red. Right? Yeah. Okay. But, you know what I mean? So that's the way I'm kind of viewing it. It's like that. So it's like, yeah, this box has all these different ones. But they're not in the same, you know, but there's still a box next to it. They're just, you know, and they're completely separate. And they're still all in one big box. I was thinking about, like, um, we think about our galaxy. And, you know, the not infinite but certainly plentiful number of stars that are in it and yet the our galaxy is just one galaxy with a bunch of other galaxies it's just like all these other collections of near infinite stars yeah but yeah i don't know because we don't have any explanation of why the stones were just children's rocks in loki 
it was definitely done for coolness effect to show that the TVA was outside of everything, but was there a, a larger purpose behind that? I don't know, but you're right. Whatever it was, it does not seem to be in keeping with the reasons and what if. Unless it's because the TVA is outside of reality and the watcher was still in a reality. Okay. Yeah. So the TV would be, well, yeah, they would, it would have to be outside the multiverse because Marvel multiverse theory is parallel universe theory. And all of the time variants are in parallel timelines. So the TVA would have to be outside of the multiverse in some way. Right. Yeah. Or, oh, well, maybe, you know what? I just thought of something. Maybe it had to do with the fact that the TVA doesn't exist anymore. Because in Loki, they were stopping all these realities, alternate realities from happening. So there was just reality and outside of reality. Hmm. But now at the end of Loki season one, that's been destroyed. So you have now all these universes that I'm going to assume don't just exist from that point on. They've now always have existed and always will exist. So therefore, now all of a sudden... There is no more just reality and outside of reality. Gems work in reality. Gems don't work outside. It's now gems work in reality. And that's it. Each universe is a reality, so therefore the gems work in each universe. Well, we can probably theorize all day long. I don't know yeah. if I'll ever explain it because it might have been that rule of cool kind of thing that they did. But and it's nice to figure out why it might have worked. And there's that, too. It was just something to talk about for a few minutes, but I did not think we were going to have a chance of getting an answer, because all we could do is theorize. And since there is comic explanation for why it might be going on, it, it's, it's need to think about what might they might be doing. But yeah. That's thought it might be fun. But yeah, what if? Decent series. Really I enjoyed like, it. Kind of yep. surprised how much I enjoyed it. Same here. I was I was really not looking forward to that Thor as a party god episode. Just It just did not speak to me. Before I watched it, mm -hmm. but I did enjoy it once I watched it. Same. I did like it a lot. I wasn't looking forward to it, but then I liked it. Plus, you know, or Howard the Duck. Yeah. If I can bring this criticism without having a whole bunch of listener anger leveled at me, well, let's hope. I didn't actually love the Black Panther episode. And the reason is I kind of felt like everything was just all happy. Kind of like the Wayne's World all happy ending. Mm -hmm. Whenever they do the different endings of the movie. And without really much explanation. Like the fact that uh, T'Challa was out in space just seemed to be this like magical catalyst to make everybody's life be its best possible thing. And I didn't really buy that. Setting that aside... I had fun with the episode and I liked what the, you know, some of the stuff they did, but the premise that they seem to be working with didn't really work for me. Well, it also was an outlier. What if, and said what that, what if usually supposed to end with everyone dies and things suck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you should have done the, uh, the other timeline in the first place. Cause it will always end badly. Always. But anyways, hey. anyway, so I Nothing think the, to do with uh, with Bozeman. Yeah, no, I get it. All right, I think we've done, we've talked about all the what ifs about what if that we have. But what if we hadn't? What if we talked more? Ooh, thoughts. 
then the world would die. (laughs) Oh, God, no, we got to stop. Okay, okay, moving on, moving on before bad things happen. Between the golden age of Atlantis and the rise of recorded history, there were ages undreamed of. Hither came heroes and villains possessing swords and magic, whose deeds became tales and legends. I have come to relate these sagas. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Days of High Adventure, a new podcast discussing a variety of comics that fall into the fantasy or sword and sorcery genre. Available on most podcast services and Anchor FM. And now we're getting into uh, the movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So Shang-Chi was, I didn't know what to expect because I have, I probably have never read a single Shang-Chi featured comic story. I've seen him guest appear in other stuff. He's always kind of like the wise master who tutors other people in how to fight, but I've never actually read any of his stories. I recently listened to the entire All the Marvels book. And his chapter on Shang-Chi was pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I have that book. I've been reading it slowly because I do. It's my lunchtime reading after I eat, finish eating. So because mm-hmm. I don't want to get stuff on it. So I'm only getting to like half a chapter a day when I'm at work. But yeah, I, I just recently passed that. And that so, was a great chapter, I thought, on that. Very eye opening. Very great at summarizing what his, you know, sort of story was whenever he actually had solo adventures. Um, and the problems that kind of went along with the storytelling aspects, but um, yes, and he was very, I think, honest about it, good and bad. The main Both. stuff that I knew about it was like his origin story and the Fu Manchu connection, and you know how he's really tangentially related to the guy on the cover of the first issue of Detective Comics, and yeah. it's um, not you know what we would consider not great stereotypey stuff, and that's about all I knew. So I had no idea what kind of story they were going to tell. And I loved how Chinese it felt. I loved how they had all the uh, actors and they had people speaking language, not which was not always translated because it's not always important that we do everything that's being said, but the characters do. That's what's important. The, the fighting, of course, was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon made the fighting style uh, choreography of a certain type very popular in the States. But I'm pretty sure I've been doing that style of thing in in, uh, in Chinese film for a lot longer. Um, I just I could go on and on about this film. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot. Just watched it again today. It was a lot of fun. I mean, again, like you, I I think I had like one of his first few issues, but that was it. I never, other than that, anything I read with him was always guest star. I mean, for the most part, he really didn't appear to like the mid to late '90s again, anyway. Maybe even early 2000s, after his initial series was canceled early on in the 80s. You know, he really didn't appear for a lot. So, not a character I have a lot of background with. I did not know what to expect, really, either. Beyond the basics, like you said, that's what I knew. 
I knew they were changing it from being the uh, character of Fu Manchu to being related to the Mandarin character, the Ten Rings at least. Which was the one thing we knew about it going in, right? It, had, it said Legend of the Ten Rings in the title, so we're like, finally! <laughs> yeah. They've been teasing this since 2008 in Iron Man, and now they're finally going to resolve the Ten Rings. Yes. Technically, he was... I don't think he actually ever... I think for what they said, he never actually went by the name The Mandarin. That was created by uh, the guy who did AIM and Trevor Slattery. Right, right. The the only comic name that's recognizable is Master Khan. I don't know how much in the minority I was with Iron Man 3, but I came out of that film very gratified that they had chosen not to do a Chinese stereotype character named The Mandarin. It's just like, that's that's not the kind of story they were sort of gone with. Instead, they did a story, you know, commenting on America's relationship with international terror and the government's relationship with that. And, the, you know, the, the a lot of the stuff that we have had to deal with, you know, 10 plus years after 9-11 in this, you know, world that we live in. Yes. Um, they did a film about that. Yeah. Which and so here, worked. it worked. I thought, I, I really thought it worked. People... Ray, rant and rant and rant about the Trevor Slattery character, but I thought it was a pretty, pretty ingenious trick. Uh, the the person behind the terrorist, guess what, is a white corporate mogul, because that's what America often is. In this movie, we have a Chinese film made by Asian creators about Asian characters, and that's where we can bring in a character like the Mandarin in a way that is true to an actual cultural center, not a stereotype. Yeah. And again, though, he wasn't actually the man. I mean, he was more, well, I guess he was a mix of them, the Mandarin, Master Khan, who at least is a, you know, who yeah, he, he, I know. He, he's all the Mandarin we're going to get. <laughs> yeah. And he's dead after this movie anyway. So and the Ten matter. Rings. What'd you think about the Ten Rings? Uh, I mean, it was something. I mean... I always find it fun that, you know, kind of amusing that like, oh, you know, the Mandarin gets these rings, you know, in the comic version, he gets these rings that are are supposed to be powering this ship and they just happen to make fire, ice, a black, you know, things that work as powers. Mm -hmm. You know, at least if they're going to be anything similar to that, it kind of makes more sense that they will work all the same way. You know, it's like if let's say if it's going to end up being this because we don't get an, an origin of the rings. All we know is he found them somewhere. We don't know mm-hmm. where how he got them. He just has them. But I mean, if in sequels they're going to tell us the origin of it, if it's going to be similar to comic origin, this does make a bit more sense that these would all function in all the Ten Rings function the same way, not each one different. Right. That together they are a power system, not they're all super cool gimmicky 60s lasers. Yeah. I can do ice with this one and a black light with my pinky and this is a force beam. Right. How does that power a spaceship? I don't get it. Right. For me, that's like up there with like, I don't get it the same like the movie Signs, where it's like, wait, they have the ability to make, you know, spaceships that travel thousands of light years, but they don't have guns. They just claw at the door with their fingers. Mm-hmm. How does that work? <laughs> were they in a rush? I'm still And they were much more visibly, visually dynamic as um, ring braces for his forearms rather than, you know, finger rings. Uh, yeah. They could do a lot more with them. Yeah, they were using the energy in the rings to make them like you know, almost like rope weapons and you know uh, blasting weapons and force fields. So we kind of did 
not exactly, but he kind of was able to do multiple functions of them still. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, the comic version of the Mandarin can with his rings. It just wasn't, you know, each one does one specific thing. I like the care. Uh, I like the characters. I have to say, I've been hearing quite a few people talking about uh, what's her the Katie character, Aquafina. Mm-hmm. I've heard several people say that her voice was annoying and grating. I didn't find it that way. Like when I think of a, gr- a voice that's kind of grating, I'm thinking more of let's say the Fran- the character Fran Drescher plays in the Nanny TV show. Yeah. Or um, when and I don't know the I can't remember the actress's name, but. When she plays the character, you know, and it's not her normal voice either, but when she plays the character of Janice on Friends. Janice, yep. That's annoying and grating. The blonde sheriff's secretary on Twin Peaks has a very squeaky nasal voice. Yeah. Um, you know, that's also kind of a, an annoying voice. No, Aquafina had a perfectly normal adult woman voice. I don't understand, like what the problem would be. Well, my wife came in, I was watching it this morning. My wife came in part way through and watched the end of it. And she actually enjoyed it enough to, was actually, she's actually said like, this is one of the, she's like the other, a lot of the other Marvel movies, she could watch whatever, you know, whatever's on and that's it. But like, this is one of the ones she's actually interested enough that she wants to go back and watch the first half. Okay. So we were talking about this a bit. Her theory is that she doesn't sound like a woman who was born and raised in China. And I'm not, it's not a criticism of them, but like both Michelle Yeoh and, and I hope I'm saying her name right, Manger Zhang, who played uh, Song's sister, mm-hmm. Zai Ling, they were both born in China. So they do have like a definite, well, you know, they know English very well. I mean, it's not like they have a problem speaking English, but they do have a Chinese accent. And they sound like you would think, like what your kind of stereotypical thought is of a Chinese woman, almost like a m- bit of a lighter pitch, almost like, you know, lighter pitch to it. Aquafina sounds like somebody who you would just picture when you just say someone, you know, without thinking of what they look like, just saying someone, who, an American woman's voice, especially from like a, a major city like New York, which is where she's from. And that's what she sounds like. But it's not what they're th- expecting. People are expecting. They're expecting the other type of voice. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just it's a theory. dismayed by the idea. <laughs> like the idea that I see Asian, like I being like subjective human, I see Asian features, therefore I expect an Asian accent. When I get uh, uh, New York instead, it bothers me. That's maybe, maybe I kind not, of not hate that that might be some people's reaction, but no, I'm just saying it's like, it's, it's, it says a sad thing about some people. If that's, if that's where the reaction's coming from. Um, but you know, your wife, May have a, have a point there. That might be where some people are, are getting their opinion. I think that she was fine. There is zero romance between her and Shang Chi, which might also be putting people off in a, a sort of I expect one thing and I get another kind of way because like she and Shang Chi never interact romantically. And she, as a character, is positioned in the story to be the romantic interest and yet never presents as a character who is seeking romantic attention. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, co- completely. Um, although I like we're used we're used to that so much. Yes. Although I will say one thing, I kind of did get from the body language a bit. I did kind of get the impression that there was something going on between them at the end. Honestly, but, I think it's just it's just maybe not. Uh, I, casual comfort level that tends to a, a certain level of like intimacy but like without you know there's 
there's a comfort level, you know? They yeah. they they lounge on each other when they're sleeping, which sure. requires a certain amount of, of asexual comfort. Yeah, and there's that too. So it could be just that. And I don't have a problem with it either way. Um, I'm not going to have an issue if it's not that. Since there's, there's so many stories out there where if you have a man and a woman, they must have a romantic involvement of some level that like that's just a standard almost 100 percent in storytelling the fact that this come took that idea acknowledge that you're expecting it because the grandmother says when you are getting married and then chucks it right out the window and yeah just ignores it completely yeah it's like nope we're not doing that that's that's not what this movie is folks i love ben kingsley coming back as trevor that was great <laughs> Unexpected, 100% unexpected, and very delightful. After after the All Hail the King one shot, I really thought he would have been dead already. Mm-hmm. And I love Trevor, still Trevor. Although I will say one thing I'm disappointed by, because I was watching today on Disney+, Plus, so therefore they have the extra features, so like deleted scenes and stuff. So we watched a couple of those at the end. So I love the scene when they're in the car right before they go to the forest, and he's talking about well, how he got into acting. And he's talking about watching Planet of the Apes, if you remember that part. Yes. Where he couldn't figure out how they got the monkeys to ride on those horses. And his mother told him it was acting. He's like, so that's what it was. They weren't monkeys riding on apes. They were monkeys. No, sorry. They weren't monkeys riding on horses. They were monkeys acting like they were riding on horses. I still can't get my brain around that. <laughs> but but then they <laughs> cut the that. Best. But then they cut out, like, and it's only a minute. They cut out that line where he's talking to her, talking to Katie, about... You're scared that you're going to ruin, you know, you're not going to be good at something. So therefore you stop yourself before you have a chance to really get good at it because you don't want to get do anything bad. And it's like the one time he's going to have something helpful to say and useful and you cut that out. <laughs> it's like and that works perfectly in this like almost, you know, he lost his like he lost his one bizarre Yoda, you know, Yoda type moment. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And they cut that out. It's like, the movie's running two hours and 14 minutes. You can go for two hours and 15. I don't think it's going to be a problem at that point. This one minute wouldn't have been a problem. Leave that in, I think. So Ben Kingsley is English, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he is of Indian descent. I'm looking up to see if he was actually born in India. Yeah, he was born in um, England. Uh, and his mother is British, but his father was Indian. And actually, and, to be fair, and I did, I didn't do this as well, so we got to remember, it is Sir Ben Kingsley. Oh, excuse me. Yes, <laughs> the man has been knighted. So he was Gandhi. Yes. in 1982, like the huge Gandhi film, which I have never seen. I need they, to see. Two of us. I realize I shouldn't. Okay, so we're both, you know, crimes against film humanity. I understand that. He was in Sneakers, but I don't remember him from Sneakers because I've only seen that a couple times. It's been a while. He lot was in Searching for. He was in Searching for Bobby Fischer, which I've only seen once. He was in Schindler's List, which I only saw once. The thing this man stands out for in my head, like the thing that whenever I think of Sir Ben Kingsley, this is what I think of, is he played Potiphar in a TV film of the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. Huh. The, the, uh, the Genesis story of Joseph, one of the 12 you know, Israel patriarchs of legend and myth or whatever. Oh, yes. He, he played Potiphar, and then that same year, he was Moses in a TV film of Moses, I think made by the same company. Hmm. And so he has these two, 
you know, Middle Eastern roles of Bible-related stuff in 1995 that would have been very much in my cultural center. But, like, that's what I think of when I think of Sir Ben Kingsley. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> and now he's Trevor. <laughs> and now he's Trevor Slattery. And I love it. Who I'm assuming, I'm wondering, did he, since we don't see him at the end, is he, you know, since he would be, obviously have to go back to prison, I'm guessing he gets to stay there, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. That's that's amusing. Um, so let's see, what else about Shang-Chi? Uh, oh, yeah. A couple other random Marvel things in there that, you know, I do like how they do that. Like, they take these random things and go, this fits here. So we have the Dweller in the Darkness, which is a Doctor Strange villain for the most part. One the of the Dweller fear lords. in the Darkness. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, that's not... What's the name of the gods above gods? Those who sit in shadow? Uh, or Yeah. Those who sit in shadow or those, those who sit above. One of the two. Right. 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 And actually, Ty Lo, I looked it up, is from the comics. But actually, it appeared mostly in Thor. It is the realm of the gods, like Chinese gods, and it appeared around Thor 300, 301. Again, yeah, take so I probably read that, but I, I don't remember yeah. off the top of my head. I like how they do that. They take the stuff and they figure out what works, and it doesn't always have to be related to the character itself that they're doing. And Shang-Chi's sister, of course, features in the uh, end uh, credit sequence as taking over their father's gang, which was also her character's move in the comics if i recall correctly i don't even remember i completely forgot whether or not she even was a character from the comics i didn't realize he had a sister in the comics yeah, too. she has a sister in the comics and um their father has another name besides fu manchu because they used fu manchu in the beginning uh zheng zhu is or possibly zheng zhu is the uh, father's name and i'm looking for the sister because i do believe this sister eventually takes over the role. Fao Sui was later renamed Zheng Baoyu in 2013. And what did she do? Um, so, yeah. Um, she... Uh, originally, she works for their father, and um, she tries to spin it in a more pragmatic direction. She even tries to recruit Shang-Chi, but of course, he's the good guy, so he's not going to have anything to do with it. And um, she, But she does eventually take over her own criminal organization, uh, and they are a front for the Golden Daggers, which I believe is a name we heard in the movie, the Golden Daggers. I feel yeah, like, that sounds familiar. Like that's familiar. Yeah. Now, that's a quite, that's thing to think about. That's something to mention, actually, is that the end, that end credit sequence. Is she taking it over just to basically take it over and leave it as it is, but now she's in charge, you know, doing things her way, but I mean same principles their father had basically or is it going to be something like that where she's trying to you know do it's not so much she's it's a criminal enterprise but i mean you know hey there might be some crime involved that's fine making her a more neutral character than villain outright villain let's say there's that to wonder what way are they going to be going with that i mean is she i mean for instance is she looking at what happened there and going okay well We've already seen enough bad stuff in this world as it is, and we see there's new, more new things we didn't even know about. Maybe we need to start getting an army that's ready to stop these things, creating her own version of S.H.I.E.L.D., so to speak. And I guess that's one of those things that remains to be seen. They have greenlit a sequel for the film, right? There's yes. definitely a Shang-Chi 2 coming? Okay. Yes, there is a Shang-Chi 2. I looked it up earlier today. Uh, so far, the only thing we know, it is the same director. And he also was one of the writers on it, and he's credited as both of those. And uh, Simu Liu has been 
credited as being cast back for the sequel, but that is all that we know so far. So we'll probably see more of all of that there. Um, now, if I, I can say there is, I do have a, one criticism besides that thing I mentioned about Trevor, Trevor. It's about the Katie character. And it's just a minor thing that I wish they would have done. Mm-hmm. Bows and arrow, using a bow and arrow is not easy. And they kind of portray it like she just picks it up that day. I really wish as she's like walking off, since she already had said like she picks up things and does a lot of stuff and then drops it before she's bad at it, you know, before she gets a chance to be bad at it. That as she's walking out with those arrows, thinking that she's just carrying them, she said, said something like, you know, I took archery for a while. Just to not have her jump from, I've never touched a bow and arrow to making miraculous thousand foot shot in right. like six right. hours of time, you know, or 12 hours of actual time. Like at least she had some mentioned that she did it, you know, did it once before, you know, has done it before that she knows the basics. She's done it before. She has an idea. She's not a hundred percent novice. Yeah, I can get that. Um, I don't remember them being that pressed for time. Is it possible that they had more time to train it? just compressed it into a montage sequence uh, from going. I mean, I'd have to double check cause I wasn't hundred percent paying attention to that part like, of like calculating the time, but it did look like they showed up and then the next day his dad was there with the army. Okay. Yeah. And that was, so maybe 20, it kind of looked like they had maybe 24 hours. Okay. So she definitely should not have gone from novice to expert in that amount of time. Yeah, I mean, now maybe she just had a really natural gift for it and they did a bit of, you know, they have some magical training for people and they really trained her a lot. But since that's not mentioned, we don't know that. But that's it's also kind of, yeah, it's also kind of a trope of storytelling. The The hero of the story picks things up really quickly and is able to do cool stuff by the end of the show. Very true. It's it's yeah. just one of those things. But yeah, I, I agree that's unrealistic. But. And especially since they already <laughs> established that she picks things up and drops them. So they already had it there. So all you needed was a line mm -hmm. of, oh, yeah, I've tried. I've done archery before. Was OK at it. You know, she's like, I, I, right. I was decent. And then because it, it still fits with what had been established with the character before. So therefore, it makes it would make even more sense. Like, oh, yeah, well, she's already done archery. She knows how to do it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, That's all. Michelle Yeoh, I realized, had been cast in this film. So whenever she showed up, it was a very nice surprise. I absolutely love her on Star Trek Discovery. She is one of the best things about that show, and she's getting her own Star Trek show oh, as nice. well. So I did not even know she was involved in that. Yeah. Uh, do you watch Discovery at all? If I tell you a little bit about it, am I going to spoil things for you? I have not seen it at all, but I have no idea if and when I'll have a chance to, because I believe that's on what? CBS All Access or whatever it's called? Yes. The, 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 yeah, Paramount Plus is what it's called now, but it was CBS All Access. So her character is pretty great. In the two-part opening episode, she is the captain of the ship that Michael Burnham, the main uh, character, is first officer of. And through the series of events, she gets killed in the first two-part episode. And that's what sends Michael on her journey of um, everything that happens with her in Discovery. They go to the Mirror Universe in the back half of the first season – and Michelle Yeoh's mirror counterpart is Empress of the Terran Empire. And so she's like super ruthless, a little bit sadistic. And um, she ends up crossing back over to the main universe 
and spending a lot of time here. So she's this character from our evil mirror who's learning how to live in Starfleet and do stuff here. And she ends up working for Starfleet's covert ops team called Section 31. And there's just so much that they do with that character that is fantastic. And Michelle Yeoh sells it so well. And then she shows up here and she's like, you know, she's your mom or your aunt or something, but like in a not necessarily soft and cuddly way. Yeah. No, I always like Michelle Yu. She's great. She's great and stuff. Whenever I see her in anything, she's good. And I just realized I'm looking at our MDB. I forgot. She already has been in the MCU. Oh, who was she? She plays the character of Alita in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Alita is... On the Kate throne? No, 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 no. Alita, in the comics, is one of the members of the original version of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the 31st Century team. She's actually, she's Starhawk's wife. Oh, yeah, and she's in one of those se- uh, sequences, and she's like, she's covered in prosthetics and special effects, so she can't even tell it's her, right? Yes, because they, they do have a version of the original Guardians in that movie. Uh, Stallone plays Starhawk. Um, I think it's Miley Cyrus plays Mainframe. <laughs> Or just the voice of it, which is funny. It's really weird to get Miley Cyrus for like, you know, five seconds of screen time. Because Mainframe in the comics is a character that was basically the Vision, but a thousand years later. Okay. Okay. She's playing the Vision, technically. Uh, Who else was that? Let's see real quick. Let's see if I can get to it. I'm looking through her. She was, of course, she was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's in a lot of stuff that I'm looking at saying, I want to see that. She was in a Marco Polo movie and then a Marco Polo miniseries playing the same character. So I think they're connected. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So, yes. Yeah, St- Sylvester Stallone plays uh, Star-Lord. Sorry, uh, Starhawk. Right. Because he's throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum is Martin X. The one who kind of looks like Iceman in the comics. I didn't realize they had gotten so many big names for those characters. Ving Rames plays Charlie 27. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh plays Alita. I like Charlie 27. Miley Cyrus plays Mainframe, uncredited. They're not a cheap, big, yeah. thick Jupiter boy. So, right, because they don't want you looking at the MDEP credits before it's, you know, in the movie. Yeah. Although, I mean, to be fair, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, they do credit, um, oh, God, what's his name? Howard the Duck. <laughs> Yeah. I cannot remember who played Howard all of a sudden. Did the voice of Howard. It's okay. But you know what I'm talking about. From all, uh, from Buffy, Jan Harley Waite. Yes. I can't think of his name Austin either. Powers. Oh, it uh, has something with the word head in it, right? Um, Anthony Stewart head? No. No. Different Buffy guy. Yeah, I am completely... Hold on, can't hardly wait. This is driving me nuts now. I cannot believe I forgot his name, especially since I mentioned it earlier to my wife. Seth it's Green. Fantastic. Anyway, I think we're going looking at casting of other movies. I think we're done with Shang-Chi. <laughs> All right. So looking forward get... to more Shang-Chi. And I really want to read some Shang-Chi Thomas now. Yeah, I do. I think they're probably on Marvel Unlimited now because I know they weren't a while ago because of the rights issues. Oh, Yeah. Um, father. Right. Which is actually what led to some of those characters getting renamed. Uh, his father and his sister were both from the original pulp novels. 
their character names were from those. So they both got renamed, which is why uh, Fu Manchu started being called Zhang Zhu and his sister, whose name has not stuck in my head because I'm terrible with names, also which got a name all, change. Yeah, which is also why they weren't able to do any reprints, physically, you know, reprints of them until recently either. Because yeah. they can't reprint that. Which is probably why, if you're interested in the series Savage Avengers, pick up those trades now. Uh, once they do their first printing, they might not do any more? Well, I don't know about that. I, I mean, uh, they might do more, but I'm just saying once Conan's in it. So once Marvel loses the uh, right to Conan again, uh, whether it's in a year or 15, 20 years, they're not going to be able to reprint those things. Because it probably will happen eventually. Exactly. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blahaha Podcast. Coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Anyway, on to our final one that we're talking about, which is the Eternals. No, there's no the. The the was officially dropped. It's just Eternals. You're right. Eternals. Um, as Tom Baker would say, the definite article, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so I felt like this film, even more than Shang-Chi, which is weird, had a long road, a long hill to climb to get people to want to see it. Because, yeah. And I kind so- of felt... It's sci-fi, it's unknown characters, it's an unknown concept. And it's not even and it's a it's a concept that also really has had the best legs on its own. I mean, they've they've obviously appeared way more than Chongxi in the comics over the last, let's say, 30 years, for those you know reasons we mentioned before. But at least he had a, a series that last I mean, I know his series was retitled from another book that he didn't appear in, in the first few issues, but still, it lasted 125 issues, and like 110 of them are his. So it had a nice run. I mean, so far, what's the longest Eternals run? The 19 issues by Kirby? You know, they don't really have a great track record of ongoing series that people can, you know, go, ooh, Eternals, awesome. We, you know, this run of Eternals was great. Right. Yeah, the 19 issues by Kirby was the longest series yeah. The 12-issue run in the 80s and 7 and 9. So there is one currently going, so it might outpace the others, but it's not. It's only six issues in right now. Even well, if you include – I mean, there have been a couple one-shots that are numbered, but even if you include those, it's 10 issues tops, maybe 11. So right. it still hasn't maxed. It kind of 
struck me as being in a similar position marketing wise as guardians of the galaxy but guardians of the galaxy came out swinging hard with that first trailer that first trailer dropped and suddenly everybody wanted to see guardians of the galaxy and eternals just didn't have that for one thing it's a completely different tone to guardians of the galaxy it is not it is not a comedy set in a sci-fi realm it is a sci-fi story (laughs) set in the marvel realm and of course there is that you know certain branch of the population that always seems to shout the loudest that was coming out against it because it wasn't predominantly white men with a few white women and maybe a couple other token casting choices it was a diverse you know it was a female uh, director mm-hmm. um it was a diverse cast it it was making a lot of choices that aren't often made and Marvel has not made them a whole lot themselves yet. Uh, and so they had a lot, it was facing a lot of flack for that because, you know, people are stupid, but but, um, I didn't see, I watching the movie. I didn't see like how any of that was an issue. Right. Um, because it wouldn't be because it was just, it was a movie. Yeah. Uh, now I like the movie a lot. Did I have one or two issues? Well, yeah, but no movie has been perfect. So I can't say that. I mean, I will say my one issue was like Cersei is the character really didn't seem like Cersei. I mean, she's one of the few Eternals that actually has a known personality. Mm-hmm. Because she gets to be an Avenger and she gets to have a lot of screen time as such. Yeah, exactly. And and just just to refresh my memory, because I saw it once, I don't know these characters that well. Uh, that was the Angelina Jolie. Nope, that, she played Fina. This was Gemma Chan. That's right, that's right. Who also has another appearance in the MCU previously in Captain Marvel. She played Dr. Minerva. One of the uh, Kree that, uh, in the very beginning, when uh, Carol Danvers is on that mission. Yep, yep Kree, exactly what you're talking about, yep. She's one of them. So she also has two appearances. So she's basically the main character of this film. I don't know why I... I yeah. I but, her name. Yeah, but, like, mo- you know, most of them don't really have much of a personality in the comics. Like, I could not tell you what Kingo is like mm-hmm. in the comics. Well, that's the problem with... with uh, when Kirby is the writer and artist on a series, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of chutzpah, there's a lot of in your face, there's a lot, lot of octane, um, there's a lot of ideas. There's not always a lot of story, and there's not always a lot of like underlying emotion to the stuff that he does. Um, I think that Kirby on his own is not as strong as Kirby when he has been paired with um, even whenever he's doing most of the story. And let's say the back half of his fantastic four run or Thor run, he wasn't doing all of the story and there was enough else coming in that there was an underlying current of emotion that I don't think he's able to pull off on his own. No. And that's true. And I had no problem with what they did with the other characters. Um, My only point is saying is that, the one character who actually has an established personality and that's not there. Yeah. I mean, she did have her own personality. It was different. Oh yeah. She had her own, but it's just like, that's the one that, that you know, that, you know, everyone else you could have done anything you wanted with, but yet like uh, Kingo was actually more Cersei than Cersei was. Hmm. Yeah. So um, that's all. It's just like, Oh, this is the one character that actually has a pre-established personality. We don't get any bits of that. I mean, I thought she was, I good was the cur- character that she played. 
like I said, yeah, yeah, she has a personality. She is a character. It's just not quite the same way. Yeah, I was curious about the actual mythos of the Eternals as a concept and whether all of the revelations that come at the end of the film with their nature as like automatons, if that is something that has been done in the comics. That, that was all new for the I think that from what I remember, that's all new. Although, I mean, they still have the basics of them being created by the Celestials. You know, they just made it where they didn't know they were. In the comics, they always known they were created by the, you know, created by the Celestials. But of course, you know, they weren't automatons. They were just evolved pre-humans. Gotcha. Okay. You know, instead of, you know, automatons. But still, you know, I mean, like, like Captain Marvel. They, they kept, you know, they kept a lot of the basic. You know, Captain Marvel still was, Marvel dies a non-glorious death and is the catalyst for giving Carol Danvers her powers. Mm -hmm. That's still what happened in the movie. Yep. Here, the Celestials created the Eternals and they fight the Deviants. That still happened. I think the thing about the Celestial hatching comes from the uh, Alex Ross Earth X series. That's where I know that theory. That's where I know that story concept from. Okay. Yeah. I think I feel that from that too. There was a lot of high concept in this, and yet I feel like they still kept it rooted in character. And that's one of the things about this film is it had to sell you on 10 brand new characters, 100% completely fresh uh, characters. And so, you know, the first half of the film is a little bit on the slow side because you're spending time getting to know everybody. It does what I think is a, a tried and true method of bringing in a large cast by bringing in one or two at a time. They basically do the Gandalf and the dwarfs coming into the Hobbit's house. He just brings in one or two at a time. They knock on the door and slowly you get accustomed to everybody being in your kitchen and eating all of your cheese. Um, if you know the Hobbit. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that does mean that you're not filled with action and adventure within the first half hour. Now they do intersperse all the flashbacks. So you do get some of that type of storytelling along the way, but it's not the driving thrust of the film by any means. And I will say, despite my issue with the Cersei, you know, the character of Cersei, like I liked her as so, but they play, had her play. I just wish it was, they could have done more Cersei, but I did like how they did fleshed out the other characters. I like Druig. I actually ended up liking. And from what I've read of him in the comics, he's actually the closest they have to like a villain eternal. Mm-hmm. Fastos was fun. Kingo was a lot of fun. Yeah. Selma Hayek was great, I thought, as Ajax. Angel I loved Angelina Jolie as Athena. It's like I liked what they did with them. They, you know, and they mixed some other stuff in the comic series, like Sprite being a problem. As well, you know, was a bit from the uh uh the Neil Gaiman John Romita Jr. series. Yeah, Sprite. Um or like Sprite being annoyed because the Sprite can't grow up. Right. That resonated with me uh, as similar to the Claudia character in Interview with the Vampire, mm -hmm. which nope. was a book and film that came out, you know, in my early to mid teens. Yes. And I was just I was fascinated by the idea of the eternal child who can never grow up. And when your mind gets older and you realize what you're lacking, it's it's a problem. And Sprite was feeling that. It also reminds me a bit of not exact same way, but it reminds me of at least one of my criticisms when I because I never read the books as a kid. So uh, when I saw the movie versions of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, mm -hmm. Chronicles of Narnia, and like they're all almost adults now at the end. And then they get sent back to being the kids. And I'm like, what's it going to be like for this five year old? 
Like she grew up in like this medieval type world, probably killed people, you know, probably killed in battle, did other stuff as like a you know teenager growing up. Did that all get wiped away? Mm-hmm. Or like does this mm-hmm. five year old have mm-hmm. to deal with like these thoughts and memories of what they did as like as growing up? It's like a reverse Billy Batson, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like that's just weird to me. Yeah. So I like that for the sprite. Um, I guess introducing characters they don't have that much as much of a problem for sequels because they killed off like half of them. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things too is like the director said that they deliberately told a story that was complete in and of itself. There is stuff at the end where they can bring the Eternals back. Mm-hmm. But if they don't bring the Eternals back, this story was complete. I would definitely like to see more. Of course, it's Marvel. You always want to see more of the story. I want to see more of the Black Knight, of course, because I like the Black Knight. I don't know why yes. I like the Black Knight, because he hardly does anything in the comics for the first 30 years. But, you know, I like the Black Knight. Well, I like him because my real first run of really reading Avengers was the part where he was like one of the lead characters. Okay. And I think so- that's where he first has like a significant comic presence. Yes. And that's also where his relationship for Cersei comes in. Aha. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's where that starts. In fact, that relationship with Cersei is the whole reason why he ends up as part of the Ultraverse for a while. Okay. Because in the it's- 90s, after when Marvel bought Malibu, was publishing and doing their Ultraverse titles, they included several Marvel characters in there, including sending the Black Knight over to that universe. Yeah, I feel like if my Marvel read-through ever gets to the 90s, I'm going to definitely, or the 80s and 90s, I'm going to definitely have to read the new universe and the Ultraverse stuff, because in modern Marvel, they're bringing some of that back, right? I know they brought new universe stuff back. Haven't they brought Ultraverse stuff back, too? No. It's unsure why. One of the big theories is that when Ultraverse was created, because it was created kind of like as a competition, like to help compete, to compete a bit with Image. And while it was still the company-owned property, the creators were supposed to supposedly ha- supposedly had a bigger percentage and more rights. Oh, so it'd be, it would cost them money to bring it back. Exactly. Mm. Well, that's a shame. There's also um, a certain person who was a comic creator who was involved in creating quite a few of them that maybe also, if that's true, they don't want to give money to them. Uh, gotcha. Gerard Jones. Yeah, yeah. So, and I can see that. Um, speaking of the Black Knight, I really wish, though, that they had, and now maybe I'll, maybe it was a, end up being deleted. I mean, granted, it's still in the movie. But I really wish we had seen something about him, like, in the flashback, like, you know, an ancestor of his or something. Him playing that ancestor, even if he had no connect, you know, didn't meet Cersei then at all. Just... Because, I mean, he's there, and then it's like he does nothing. And it's like, well, then why'd you have him as Dane Whitman? And then, like, it's the end credit scene where, like, you know, we have reason for him to be there. I mean, I guess, you know, the question is, like, how much could they have put in? But on the other hand, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just a little, like, I wish they had were able to do something like that. That's all. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. I did expect him to have lar- a larger presence in the story just based on the fact that it's, you know, John freaking Snow yeah. <laughs> casting your movie. One thing I loved about this film is that Icarus is basically Superman as far as power set goes. And there were some definitely Man of Steel reminiscent camera work with him, but they also took it in like new directions and did 
new stuff with it. So whenever whenever Icarus was going to town, I felt like I was watching Superman. Now, albeit sometimes an evil Superman, and yes, that trope's been done to death at this point, but you know, whatever. It's still Superman. I still really had a fun time watching it. Yeah, and he is more like that in the comics, too. He is, I mean, granted, I don't think he's been as uh, slavish to the Celestials and willing to let a planet be destroyed, if that's what they say, but he is more of that character. That is more his characterization in the comics, more the Superman style character, maybe a bit more bland than Superman. And in the Kirby run, he's your point of view character. He is your he is your Orion of the new gods in Eternals. Yeah, without the anger issues. Right. Now, this film had one thing that no Marvel film has had before. This film had a sex scene. That's right. Which, you know. I felt like it was exactly the right amount of sex that I would want to see in a Marvel film. Like, I don't feel like they went too far with it. I'm also very much of the opponent that sex should be more normalized in our culture and like conversations about it and everything should be less taboo. So having it in a Marvel film, I don't think was a poor choice, but it was definitely an unexpected one. Who, who was that sexy man? I can't, I'm blanking on it. That was Cersei and Icarus. That's right. That's right. That's right. I couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, because I'm seeing um, alternate versions. The IMAX format shows the film in 1.90 to, to 1 aspect ratio and shows more explicit nudity in the sex scene than regular widescreen versions. Huh. Okay. Oh, and now the credit, speaking of the credit scene with Dane Whitman, his, cre- his end credit scene where he opens up the ebony blade. I'm looking here on IMDb. It's this uh, spoiler about the credit scene. Now, I'm not sure. Did I? Is it that they didn't show him and they're just telling us here? Or did I forget this? It says Blade is the one who halts him from touching the ebony blade. We hear a voice off screen. We don't see who it is. I thought it was Merlin because Merlin's connection to the Black Knight. That's just who I thought it was going to be whenever we heard a voice. I did not realize it was the Blade actor speaking there. And when I read that, I was like, that's probably why It it was the actor who played Blade. Yeah. That's why they credit they say it was Blade. Okay, I did not realize that till literally just now. That's so, interesting. Yeah, that's and, Mahershala Ali. And speaking of end credit scenes, you know which one I'm excited about. Star Fox and Pip. Holy crap, Pip the Troll. Pip the freaking troll. We almost have the Infinity Watch. Whom are we missing? Besides well, Adam Warlock. We have, let's see, Infinity Watch. Let's go through members. There is Adam Warlock. Who, uh-huh. Has not appeared in anything, but has been cast to be in Guardians 3. And we have seen his cocoon. Definitely not just rumors of it in the collector's room. Yep. Uh, there's Gamora. Gamora. Obviously, we have there. There is Moondragon, who we don't have so far. That's right. We don't have Moondragon. Well, we have to have Moondragon show up in Iron Man first, right? Yeah. <laughs> or was it Daredevil? It was Daredevil. No, we no, no. Iron Man as Madame McEvil. Oh, dear. Okay. In, in Iron Man 54, the issue before Thanos shows up. Well, we definitely need to have Iron Man movie 54. <laughs> but she wasn't moved with Madame Madame McEvil. Yeah. McEvilkins. But I I think you're right. She was not Moon Dragon or that that character name until the Daredevil appearances. But so those three, uh, Drax, Pip the Troll, who we now have, and Thanos. So, I mean, once Adam appears in Guardians 3, the only one we need is Moon Dragon. And we have we could have an Infinity Watch. Which is crazy. Yeah. 
that, that we just need to get them to have their own spinoff. That's kind of like what I realized when it was realized a couple years ago in the uh, on the DC, you know, CW TV shows that we pretty much had the while they were never together. We pretty much had the Detroit era Justice League, you know, because they had yeah. Vibe, Steel, Chick, Gypsy, mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter. And whenever I was watching those, whenever they first came out, I had never read that era of Justice League and now I've read it. So whenever I, you know, I, I need to go back and rewatch those uh, that season or those seasons because like. It didn't register that I had it. Even if we're not going to get the Infinity Watch, it's kind of exciting for me that we actually have almost all the characters appearing, which you asked me in 1995, I would never have thought that was possible. So we might get a bit more on the background of Thanos, maybe. If Star Fox is still going to be, I I think he said it was, I forget if they said he was a brother of Thanos or not, because obviously it was a quick scene. He did say, yeah. He did identify himself as the brother of the Mad God or something like that. Oh, the Mad Titan. Okay, so yeah, so that's interesting. And will they still be Eternals or not? Yeah, I don't know. Because from what we got from that origin, it looked like they did more, they created more than just this group of Eternals. And I mean, they were going, that's the reason the other Eternals left the planet. They were going to look for the others to tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, I like what you said earlier that like, Okay, so this might be a new revelation that they're, you know, synthetic beings or whatever you want to call them, but they were always created by the Celestials. Yes. It's just what that means is different here. So they can continue on being their own person, just not enslaved by Celestials. Interesting. So the question is now, where will we see any of these characters again if anywhere beyond Eternals 2. Yeah. Like, will the Black Knight be showing up in Blade? Oh. Yeah. I was, I was thinking the other way around. I think I was thinking that, Black, uh, that Blade would show up in something Black Knight-ish, but yeah. Well, I mean, we know there's going to be a Blade movie. We do. We do, which so, makes sense to pull in another sword wielder for that film. Especially yeah. since he's a Black Knight and it's a sword of evil. That makes sense to have in a Blade movie. Exactly. I was surprised at how well they were able to make the Celestials feel like characters. Like, RSM was a lot more than a big red special effects construct. Mm-hmm. Like, he was definitely a deity that we knew to a certain extent by the end of the film. That is true. So, yeah, the Celestials actually talked. Because mm-hmm. normally we don't hear them talk at all. Right. Just, They're just giant, giant Kirby-faced robots who do stuff with their thumbs. Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. That's pretty much it. Which, from what I understand from the one or two people I know who've studied the era, isn't even a thing. That, like, the Caesar with the thumbs down thing in the arena and all that, that is totally a myth. It is not historically supported. Well, you know, Caesar liked to dress up like Ashram, so that's why. They just just assume he did the same thing. But it's just early cosplay, that's all. If Caesar's going to dress up like anyone, it's definitely going to be a space god. Yeah. Emphasis on the word god. Exactly. We'll get back to John in a minute, but first let's cover some feedback. And this time it's feedback from episode 144, in which Peter Rios and I covered History of the Marvel Universe number one. On Facebook, the posts about that episode got likes and shares from Clinton Robinson, Geek Pod, Chris Armstrong, Cody Walls, Jesse Starcher, Evan Bevins, Vinny DiCostello, Pat Sampson, Gene Hendricks, Ruth Sutherland, and Derek William Crabb. On Twitter, the post about the episode got likes and retweets from 
Podcast Overlord, Alan Sharp, Jason Snick Venable, Long Box of Darkness, Stephen or Else, Last Sons of Krypton, David Finn, Connor McKenna, Capes and Lunatics, Viet Win, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Ghost Spider Groupies, Coffee and Comics, The Daily Rios, Rolled Spine Podcasts, Tomes of Evil, a comic book villains podcast, Dear Watchers, Multiverses and What If podcast, Chris Lydon, Red Election Broadcasting, Dano underscore Cosmic, Doc Strange, Longbox Review, Into the Night, Capucha Antonio, Adriano, Zero One, Mysterio, Seeker Wars and Beyond podcast, The Legion of Substitute Podcasters, Eater of Fatakal, Cami Talks Comics, parentheses, day slash them, Maria Paz, Anazoko, They're with the Wrong People, and Justin Steiner. Thank you to all of you for that. Now, if you want to hear me elsewhere besides on this show, well, first of all, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. And on that show, we talk about the DC Comics late 80s, early 90s sci-fi series, Legion. Not Legion of Superheroes, this is the one with the acronym. Also, there are two other places you can find me since the last time we have an episode out. Uh, you can find me in episode 70 of the Coffee and Comics podcast, and Clint Robinson and I were talking about a Thanos Gamora story from the Marvel Holiday Special from 1993, and also on the Rattle Election Broadcasting Network, and I, or I believe the W2M Network, one of the two. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. On TV Party Tonight episode from December 14th, Mark and I were talking about Stargirl Season 2. Links for these will be in the show notes. All right, you want your name said here, or you have something you want to write into us that you want us to talk about? Well, send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Uh, go to our Facebook page, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the Facebook search box, and it'll pop up. Go to Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Or, of course, we're on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. One last thing before we finish the feedback, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you can hear a promo for one of the Collective shows right now. Tomes of Evil presents... <laughs> Name and you're right on time for your funeral... Hi, this is Russell from the Tomes of Evil podcast. Check out our new sub-series, The Hobgoblin Historia, where my co-host Dylan and I go through all of the appearances of Spider-Man's foe, The Hobgoblin, from beginning to end. It's mine now. All mine. mine. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our three for this episode. So not counting, obviously, Hawkeye and Spider-Man No Way Home because they just came out. Right. So and Hawkeye, I'm not even sure if it's over or not, but I have not had a chance to finish watching it and I have not had a chance to see No Way Home. So you know, as a recording, we still have one more episode of Hawkeye and No Way Home just came out literally two days ago. So. Yeah. Oh, I've seen it, but Al has not. Correct. Now, before we finish up, I just want to mention one thing. So I threw on the Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So let me bring that up real quick. Where did I put that? Oh, photos. That's it. Twitter poll, Twitter poll, dancing on that Twitter poll. All right. So 
The question of what was the favorite Marvel show, and just to refresh people, the options are WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, and What If. Okay. Should I go from top down or bottom up? Bottom up. Okay. What If with 2% of the votes. Oh. And then, now remember, of course, I was not asking people what they hated, just what they liked the best. Right. Next, Falcon and Winter Soldier with 12%. Then 33% liked WandaVision. And Ooh. 53% of the voters thought Lo- had Loki as their favorite. Loki as a favorite. So any of those could have been everybody's second favorite, but Loki was most people's first favorite. Yeah, and I would have to say, if I had to rank them in the order of what I prefer, what I like them, and granted, it's not like I hated any or disliked any. That actually is probably my order of what I of what I like the shows. I can see that. Yeah, I could probably agree with that. I would not have put what if, if proportionally as low as it is on that list. Like, obviously, that's not what the list is saying. Um, it yes, but but yeah, but yeah. And now about movies. The movies options again, of course, for fresh people: Black Widow, Shang Chi, and Eternals. Fourteen percent, their favorite was Black Widow. Twenty-nine percent. You want to guess? Wow, I I don't know which to guess. Eternals. So, fifty-seven percent. Wow. Okay. I don't have my order for the movies in my head as much, but again, that's kind of what we mentioned last time. Is like with TV shows, even if you only watch one, you know, each episode once, you're still watching it cumulatively much longer mm-hmm. than a takes movie. It, takes it more space in your brain. Exactly. And I did have a chance to see Shang Chi and Black Widow twice. And I've only yeah. seen every. I've only seen everything once. I did go to a second showing of Shang Chi, but it was at the end of a long, physically hard labor day. Since I had already seen it once, once I started feeling tired, I just let myself be tired, um, and I passed out. I literally fell asleep when they were driving into the hidden city, mm. and and woke up as they were celebrating the death of the demon, and like it felt like thirty seconds. And I, I slept there an hour of film. I've had that happen before. You decide, no, I'm going to go. I can do this anyway. And shocker, you're in a dark room sitting in a comfy chair. And next thing you know. Right. <laughs> For me, I would say actually out of those, Black Widow was my favorite. But maybe that is because, now granted, of course, I've not seen, I've only seen Eternals once. But also because Black Widow is a character I was already invested in beforehand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't like picking favorites, especially when things are so different. Like the the Black Widow and Shang Chi and Eternals all touch different parts of what I like in movies, and so I just I don't know if I could put one of those above the others. Understood, and that's fine too. I I don't know that I have a favorite Marvel movie. I might be able to put some of them in tiers, but even that would be hard because there are just so many. Yeah, and for me also, a lot of times favorite just means what ones am I more in a mood to watch or rewatch or want to rewatch at that moment. Yeah. At this particular moment. Right. So therefore at a certain point, Iron Man might be my favorite. And at another point, Captain America first Avenger might be my favorite or Avengers, depending on what I'm kind of, you know, what's what I'm in the mode to watch. There was a website that would basically ask you this movie or this movie for all the Marvel movies. It was basically just go through a logic circuit of, out of these two films, which one do you want to watch more? 
And based upon all of your responses, it would, it would stack them all and rank them all against each other and give you the list of your preference order. Oh, and it was based on it was based on a whole bunch of binary questions. Do you want do you like this one or this one more? X or Y. Right. And based on your all of your X or Y responses, it would put everything in a ranked order. Neat. So at least that's what people thought. Now, granted, of course, it's only a Twitter poll, so it's not like you know it's a wide range of people. We had right. forty three votes for the TV shows and seven for the movies. Oh. <laughs> so it's not like it's a extensive one. As a pretty small sampling for the films one, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, whatever. It's a Twitter poll. This is not science. Four sevenths wanted to see um, Shang-Chi again. Exactly. But that's it. So we hope you enjoyed this. Maybe next year we'll do this again at the end and, you know, we'll be able to talk about Hawkeye and Spider-Man plus, you know, Doctor Strange and whatever else has come out this year. Because, I mean, not really sure what else is coming out in the TV show otherwise, other than Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk. But we'll see what happens with those when we get there. All right. Well, John, time to pimp stuff. As we're sitting here recording, I still need to, like, make the the website happen. I haven't done that yet. But the plan is to have johnreadscomics.com up and going as a podcast feed and a website for all of my projects. Like, uh, shows that I own the episodes for will be hosted on the feed, and shows that I don't own the episodes for will at least be linked from the website. So, like, Make Ours Marvel is a joint production. It's still on its own website, on its own feed, but we link from the site. But, like, my old stuff, like Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Golden Age Superman, all that stuff will be on there and all in one mega feed. Also, I'm going to recreate all of its all of the own sub feeds for those shows. Now, launching on January 3rd is an 18-month project called Superman in Crisis, which is going to be my journey and review and discussion of Crisis on Infinite Earths, focusing on Superman's role in the story and all of the Superman comics that were published during Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then for the back six months of that year and a half when Crisis is over, all of the Superman comics that continue to be published up until the end of that version of the character. So that's going to be coming out weekly for a year and a half because Crisis starts in January and whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow happens in June a year and a half later. So we're going to go at the same pace that the comics came out. So that project is done. It's in the can. I just got to put up the episodes and I've got to do all the back end work still. But that should be happening unless something goes wrong that I'm not anticipating. <laughs> yeah. So look for Superman in Crisis on January 3rd in JohnReadsComics.com or John Reads Comics as a um, podcast feed on January 1st. Yep. So links for whatever I can have, whatever is available, will be up in the show notes, or at least they'll be linked to John Reads Comics. So when it's, once it changes over, the link will still be the same thing. And that should then that first episode should be out just about a week after this one. Yes, January third. So John Reads Comics does not have an H, and .com does not have an H, and for that matter, Superman in Crisis doesn't have an H. So really, just don't ever use an H when you're looking for my stuff. H's are bad to John. H's are kryptonite. Bad. Yes. Makes, or it's his red kryptonite. Make sure you go an ant head. But not my kryptonite, because that would have an H in it. 
True. Very true. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. For, and that's it for this year. That's it for 2021. 2021's over, y'all. 2022. Here we go. Yep. We'll be back in about two weeks after this episode in 2022 with, well, it's something. <laughs> Not going to say what yet, but it's, a, it's recorded. So that's the important thing. All right. Bye. Bye. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at johnreadscomics.com. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. We're good. All right.